Howdy, Rob Lee here, and we're going to get back to the truth in this art, but I want to do a little exercise with you. As you know, the truth in this art is an audio experience, so I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this time and visualize with me. I'm thrilled to reintroduce you to Forged Eatery, a true gem that captures the essence of farm-to-table dining in Baltimore. At Foraged Eatery, they have mastered the art of sourcing local and seasonal ingredients, resulting in a menu that will leave you in awe. Their commitment to quality and to flavor is simply unmatched. Picture yourself, see it's the visual, picture yourself uh, savoring their mushroom stew, a comforting and aromatic dish that transports you to a world of culinary bliss. The depths of flavor and the carefully selected ingredients will tantalize your taste buds. You can swap out and insert the focaccia, which is heavenly, or the irresistible cornmeal fried happy oysters. Each bite is a celebration of culinary mastery. Forged Eatery goes beyond being simply a restaurant. It's an immersive experience where the menu evolves with the seasons. Each visit promises a new and exciting experience for your taste buds, making every moment unforgettable. So, fellow food fans, fellow food lovers, it's time to discover the magic of Forged Eatery. Let their innovative approach to dining and their passion for locally sourced ingredients transport you to a world of culinary excellence. Don't miss out on an extraordinary dining experience. Plan your visit to Forge Eatery today and let your taste buds revel in the true flavors of the season. It's time to indulge in a gastronomic adventure that will leave you craving for more. For more information, visit ForgedEatery.com. Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. Thanks for listening. Do continue to share, subscribe, like, and uh, share this podcast with people you think would dig it. It's the best way for us to get these stories out there, these great conversations, and really explore the truth in this art. Today, we delve into the intricate and thought-provoking world of an artist whose craft-based creations explore uh, topics such as race and whiteness. With exhibitions across the nation, her upcoming solo show, Rebirth of a Nation, opening at the Gallery in the Sky, she's reshaping our perspective. Please welcome the inspiring and innovative Kim Rice. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Um, I'm excited to be here. And this is jumping right into it. But today I, I read your or I listened to your podcast that you did on just your own personal story about doing the podcast. Yeah. And I loved it so much. And I felt like that there was this kinship there of like something was going down and you needed to be honest about it. And like you're trying to get to the truth of the matter. So um, I'm just really excited to be here. Thank you. You you were that one download that came in today. So thank you so much. <laughs> no, it's 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 important. And um, as I'm kind of like going through and doing the research for your work, I'm really excited for this conversation. And, and thank you for making the time. Um, so I'd like to start off with the the sort of origin story question. Um, take me back to your artistic beginnings. What were those like early art memories that that left an impression on you? Whether it is in the the making of art, the appreciating of art, or being around creativity generally. Um, it comes from home. Uh, my dad. Uh, at the time when I was younger and and before was a watercolor artist. And so um, he just did it in his spare time, but he had gone to art school prior. And so I learned a lot about drawing from him and watercolor from him and just to be curious and to make things and to draw what you see. And uh, so I learned a lot from him. And then the I remember being in his office and him telling me that I could have anything in his trash can. So that's my first memories is um, going through his trash and getting out like the best papers or whatever and drawing on them um, and or going and uh, being up um, 
at my grandparents' house and going and drawing on top of brown paper bags. Uh, so those are my first memories of art making. And I've always kind of made art, was always compelled to do it. And um, that kind of went away a little bit. Like in middle school and high school, I got really into athletics and spent time doing that. But then I got injured and um, art was the thing that I came back to to kind of make sense of it all. And uh, from there, it just became my main focal point. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. And um, it, it's good to be able to return. I I always think of just the, the Austin Cleon stuff when he mentioned sort of the Phantom Limb thing where you may have something creative that you're doing. You might leave it for whatever reason. It's always going to be there. You always come back to it maybe in a different way. You know, I have the comic thing. I have the... Um, I, I guess even to a degree doing, doing this... Um, I was always one of those. I was a rapper in high school. I tried to be a rapper in high school. That's, that's yes. And uh, and it was it was just me playing around with audio. And um, I used to be one of those guys, those those kind of like jerky high school guys with the mic. And it's like, tell me what you think about this. That was my introduction, I suppose, in interviewing people. But I spoke like I was the rock and I was speaking in th the third person. Nice. Because I'm a weirdo. I was, <laughs> I was very socially awkward in high school. Very big, very socially awkward. So I, I think, you know, creativity can be a very strange beast. Um, is there a, a spark for you? Is there something that kind of ignites um, creativity for you? Like, is there a problem that needs to be solved, a puzzle or something entirely different? What is that that spark for you that makes you feel compelled to create? Yes. Um, this is a good question. Um, I, I think that where my practice is now, so we'll speak from just now, um, uh, where my practice is now, I'm usually compelled by materials or by readings and so, or even conversations that I have. And so there's something that sticks in my mind and, um, I'll give you an example. This is the, probably the best way to do it. So um, I was reading a book on just uh, on um, redlining and thinking about the different resources that I have just because of being middle class and the safety net that I have, the safety net that I, I have automatically just because of my resources by, by means of my family and the connections that I have. Like if something bad went down, there's other people in my friends and family that are middle class that can help me with those resources, right? So um, thinking about that safety net, safety net, then I'm working out and I'm doing um, sit-ups in this gym that there's like a net that runs over top. And every time I'm doing my sit-ups, I'm like looking at that net and I'm I'm visualizing different things going through it. And I'm thinking about the safety net. And then I go to the hardware store, which is sometimes what I do when I can't quite put my finger on what I want. And I'm walk the aisles and then I see these zip ties yeah. and I'm like, there's something here. And so, um, then I go home and, or go to my studio and I start manipulating the zip ties in different ways. And I'm thinking about the safety net. I'm thinking about these resources. And then all of a sudden I have a piece. And so, um, and I have two safety net pieces. One is a safety net Richmond. The other one is a safety net Baltimore and they're redlining maps, um, made completely out of zip ties. So, <clears throat> so that would probably give you an example of, like where the spotter is coming from. So um, I don't know. That's probably the best way to explain it. I mean, you explained it very well. And um, I, I, it, it poses another question um, with that. So I, I think I get a lot of, I, I guess I get a lot of sort of inspiration or that, that fodder, if you will, from being in other communities and really being dipped in. So if I go travel, I'm like, where's the weird stuff? Where's the neighborhoods? Where's all of the stuff? Where's the coffee? And, but I, I, I make it such that I keep a notepad with me. You know, I keep something with me to kind of write down. It might be keywords. It might be something that's like, what's the stuff here? Who's the artist here? What's the thread here? 
for for you when you're 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 doing that and you're like maybe in the gym or you're um in the hardware store or wherever that spark hits you do you have like a notepad do you use the app on the phone what are you using to kind of capture some semblance of the idea I am so old school and I try never to use my phone for anything. Um, and that's not, it's just because I straight up can't <laughs> work it properly. Um, and so I usually like all, I'll have, um, I use like an old school planner and I usually am like writing in the back on the back pages, scribbling notes, or I'll find something to write on, uh, just to keep it with me. If all else fails, I'll do like a voice thing on my phone and be like, don't forget this. Um, sometimes like I will actually call my husband and be like, send me an email. These are the things I need you. Like, it's so dumb. I go through like multiple and and then it's just, yeah. And then there's just like lists everywhere. I have like sheets of paper, like look here, this is in front of me, just random paper that I've written thoughts on, um, that hopefully like, I feel as if, if I could just get down on paper somehow, somewhere it's safe, um, which is not true because I can totally lose paper. So that's how I go about doing it. Yeah, I, I have like, I'm in a make I'm in my studio, but I have like this makeshift desk and in the back of it, I have all of these scraps of paper. Some were in notepads that are different pieces of paper. Some are business cards of other people. I'm like, eh, your business doesn't matter. Let me write this story on there. And even what you were describing rem- reminded me of this video I saw earlier, um, the, the, the story about um, how John Tesh came up with Round Ball Rock for the NBA theme. And he was like, he left himself a voicemail humming what he wanted the instrumental to be. So he bought yes. the, he bought the, uh, the the machine on there and then he goes into the whole story. And I'm like, however you get it down, however you get the story. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I used to um, I used to use a sketchbook a lot because um, I've gone through many iterations of making. And there were times when I was painting and drawing more. And so I would have a sketchbook on me and then I found that my sketchbook was just turning into like lists Mm. or words or books or things like that. And, um, and so now the sketchbook has kind of fallen to the wayside and I just write it in the planner because that that's kind of become my sketchbook of sorts. Makes sense. So you, you have a, you know, from what I'm, what I've read, very hands-on, very labor intensive, uh, process. And I'm, I'm seeing cro- crocheting, I'm seeing sewing, I'm seeing all types of things, um, within this, the process. So talk a bit, so exp- expand on that a bit, you know, for the folks that are in the back and aren't familiar and, you know, some of the themes that you're exploring, I have a sub question in there, but I at least want to, want to go there to kind of like set the stage. So I started this body of work on whiteness um, a decade ago, and I started it by weaving. Mm. Um, And I really like the metaphor. Uh, There's just like a beautiful metaphor that comes with it, that it's like whiteness is woven into our everyday lives and the ways in which which we move through the world. Um, I really liked that. I also really like these craft-based media because it's very democratic so it's something that anybody can do it's something that you can find all over the world it's something that's intergenerational so maybe like you know like you've seen your grandma's sewing or something like that right um and it gives people an entry point into the work especially you know art has a tendency to be at times um uh, there's a different word besides prestigious, but you know, like not accessible, mm-hmm. like some people find art, not accessible. And then you add onto it, like conceptual art and I'm a conceptual artist and I came to it grudgingly, um, because I didn't ever want to feel like something was inaccessible. Um, and so it's conceptual art and then it has like politics and race and all these things involved in it. And so by like bringing it down to craft, I think that it gives it an entry point. It gives it humanity. It gives a connection. 
So the viewer can start at some place, if that makes sense. It does. Um, I remember in talking with folks and sharing, like, I do these podcasts because I want I want these stories to get out there because, you know, I try I try to limit how much I'm talking and it's like, let the guests cook. Um, And I'll talk to people and they're like, is it just art? I don't get art. I was like, it's not rarefied. It's, it's not, you know, like these are real people and they just happen to do a thing that is creative and done very well, all of these different things. But it, as, you, as you touched on, it's it's an entry point. I, I look at these interviews and I think some of the very interesting work that might be challenging to sort of access as an invitation to go deeper, an invitation to look up uh, similar artists that work in similar themes or, or, or similar styles. And uh, I think you can you can go you can go a lot you can go you can go really far um so what have been so exploring in this this like current body talk about a, a bit of um some of those those challenges and some of these sort of rewarding experiences that are there um you know as i was sharing with you before we got started uh being out there very publicly feels like a challenge sometimes because it's like oh I'm an online person in IRL, so I can't be honest in certain ways of how I might be feeling. And that's very rare, more so with interactions, never with this podcast, but it's a thing. And, and people think it's, people People are weird. I just put it that way as far <laughs> as doing this and being more out there. But the rewarding thing about it is meeting folks such as yourself so I can seem like I'm more interesting. You know, I'm like, yeah, so I was talking with Kim Rice the other day. <laughs> So what are some of those rewards and those challenges of, you know, just, you know, very generally being an artist and exploring the themes that you're exploring or even more pointedly your, your sort of current body of work? The biggest challenge for me in my current body of work is that it's labor intensive and there you are, it is a marathon. It is an endurance game. And there is a lot of physical pain that comes with that. And then there's just like the grind, like the mental grind of saying, okay, I'm going to do this thing and I'm not going to know what it looks like for six months, uh, but I'm doing it. Um, And I think that that probably is like the most arduous thing about it in all honesty and then, you know, also as an artist, you have to wear so many hats. Like you, not only do I have to be in the studio making these really labor intensive things that take a very long time, but I also need to be doing readings. So I have the so I understand the work that I'm doing. Like my work is based off of research and, and reading various books on race and the construction of the United States. Right. So I need to be keeping up my readings, but then I also need, I also have to be a business person. Right. And I have to be promoting myself on social media. And as I have informed you already, I am terrible with the phone. So, um, or just promoting yourself and you think it, that takes a lot of effort. Um, and then you also have to be applying for shows and you have to be writing grants. And so it's a constant, um, battle of like deciding what the priority is. And uh, I wouldn't say a battle, but there's always something that needs to be done. There's usually 20 things that need to be done. And it's deciding what the priority is for that day uh, and trying to use your time as, as wisely as possible. So those are probably like the big difficulties, I guess, or the things that I, that are the hardest part of my job. If that makes sense. <laughs> it does. It does make sense. Um, so I, I saw something that, you know, I had to key in on because, you know, for folks that have listened to this, this podcast, I've done a sub series on it. Uh, I love the city, New Orleans. So yes. uh, talk about your your time there and like how that has that that, that time and being in New Orleans has um, influenced your 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 current practice or influenced you as a creative, as a person or have you. And if there are any sort of connections between New Orleans and Baltimore, feel free to share those as well. I think there are a lot, but, you know, I've been told I'm, I'm often wrong, but I believe that there are a lot. So please. 
When I first came to Baltimore, which was six years ago, uh, for the weekend to decide if we were going to move here, um, I came here and I thought, this this feels like New Orleans. And, and it's different. It's East Coast, right? It's still very much East Coast. But there are a lot of similarities, you know. They're both port cities. They're both predominantly black cities. They um, are gritty, a little underrated. Um, and they have huge art, uh, like a huge art scene here. And that's part, when I say underrated, I think that that belongs with the art scene as well. I think the art scene is, um, it doesn't give a, get, get enough props. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just think that there there's, and the people are real. I think that that's probably the biggest thing. I think like the, like people are genuine. They're going to tell you what you, they think. <laughs> and I appreciate that. Um, and it has like a small town feel, even though it's big city. I think both of those cities are like that. Um, I was there, I moved there directly after I got out of undergrad and I just said, well, I want to move to New Orleans. And so I, um, that was my plan. And, uh, so as soon as I graduated, I left to New Orleans. Um, I had been visiting there a lot because I had a friend that lives there. Um, so I'd been visiting there over the past like four years and I knew that that's where I wanted to move. And so I just got a job, um, through AmeriCorps actually, uh, starting a habitat restore there. And so I just worked in all honesty, like it wasn't very, I didn't do a lot of art there. I did manual labor all day long. And then when, when I was finished with that, I would go out dancing all night and to live music. And that's what I did. Um, I did meet my husband there. So uh, there's that. Um, and I think that it's an amazing city and it has played a huge role in my work. Um, we moved, we were there when Katrina happened. And so that's why, that's why I'm not there. I mean, when I, when I moved there, I thought I was moving there for good, uh, just fell in love with that city. And so, uh, because of Katrina, we ended up actually in Oklahoma and, um, and then we were there for a decade. And then we looked up one day and we're like, what are we doing in Oklahoma? And so we're like, whoever gets the first job wins. And, <laughs> um, we just, you know, sent out our resume and like one month later we were living here in Baltimore. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, in terms of that city, I love that city. I have a heart for that city. I still have friends and family there. So I go down there at least once a year and, um, I have very, I don't know how much I should share, but I have very distinct, um, moments there regarding race that have stuck with me and played a role in like my caution series and different things like that. And uh, I did a huge piece called the divide, which will be it's going to be installed. It's getting installed tomorrow at top of the world gallery, uh, that was done, um, referencing the cartography of New Orleans and its relationship to redlining and the repercussions of that happening for, with Katrina. So, um, yes, I love that city and there are connections and, uh, yeah, it's definitely, you know, played a role in my work. Thank you. Um, I, I love New Orleans. I've been six, I think six times, twice this year. And, uh, you know, I have this thing, I have this challenge for myself. I'm, I'm 38. I got like two years before I'm like, am I going to go? Am I staying here? What's, what's the move here? Uh, because it's, it's just like one of those places that um, for me and the things that I'm interested in energizes me, gives me a lot yeah. of and and it's haunted as well. So that's that's also another thing. Too. I can start doing podcasts with ghosts. It'll be great. Ooh, <laughs> the truth in this heart. I don't know. Uh, so now now kind of transitioning into sort of the Baltimore component of you know being here. You said for the last six years, right? Um, how how is living here and being an artist here like you know shaped and continue to like shape your vision, giving you that that fodder and 
what are your hopes for the city? Um, and then we, we're going to close on these last sort of three questions about this upcoming, you know, exhibit. But um, uh, so so share, share from that point right there, as far as like being an artist here and your sort of hopes for from from maybe the artistic standpoint, your hopes for the city. I love this city. Um, New Orleans was my first love. Uh, Baltimore is my second. It's definitely home. I tell everybody, like, I don't see myself planning on moving anywhere. Like, I am here. Uh, this place is wonderful. The art scene is uh, incredible. The people are genuine. And I just have so much love and respect for the creative people in the city. And um, my hope is that we can, you know, continue to do the work to um, make this a city that is equitable. And that's really, I just want to play a part in that however I can. And, um, and I want to collaborate with people. And uh, yeah, that, that's probably what I'd say right now. I just, I really freaking love the city. So <laughs> that's great. We're going to isolate that bit and just put it out there in the universe. I mean, that's that's the thing. I I, I was um, a couple of years ago, part of this project um, and it's, it's on YouTube where um, I'm kind of hosting these segments and um, and it's it's through NXPA or NXPX rather, where, you know, the team uh, is going through and they're kind of talking to people in the city giving them their flowers and telling them that they matter. And it was a, we put this out on uh, Valentine's Day a couple years ago. Nice. And it's just like a nice thing to do. And it feels like low-hanging fruit, but also it's this sort of, and one of the things that kind of pushes this podcast along continually, this idea of Baltimore is is great. It's not even not that bad. It's not those bumper stickers, Baltimore, I actually like it. I side-eye those all the time. It's like, put some respect on it. It's it's right. like any other city. And, you know, in sort of the genesis of doing this with the, you know, the whole orange thing and, you know, Baltimore being rats and all of that. It's just like, you, you can't say that same stuff in like a New York, in a Philadelphia, mm -hmm. in a Boston. It's like, people don't allow it. And I think having and being very an evangelist for Baltimore is very important. And I think that's, you know, sort of one of the through lines for many of these episodes in this podcast. And what I'm kind of seeing with some of the, the the work you're you're mentioning and you're you're talking about, because I see sort of this love letter to Baltimore. I see that in there popping up later. So I want to move into um I want to move into this piece um about rebirth of a nation. Let's let's talk about it. Um give the fine folks, the listeners sort of like what's up with it? What what, what do we got? What what is it about? When is it when it's going to be on view, all of that good stuff. All right. So Rebirth of a Nation is opening at Top of the World Gallery um, next Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. So come up. It's, you know, Top of the World. Unfortunately, it's not always free, but it will be free that night. And there'll be like food and drinks and lots of people out. And it'll be just a really um, fun time to be a communi community. Um, this exhibition... I had, I'll, I'll go back. I, um, I, I, I have another exhibition right now at Connect Collect Gallery uh, with Paul Rucker, and that's called Liberty and Justice. And um, that, that has more, had more of the work that I had previous, well, had been most of my current work up until I was simultaneously doing this, this other exhibition. These things are happening at the same time. But so I've been working in caution tape for a couple of years and um, caution and danger tape and thinking about um, just violence and um, policing and the ways in which white people, um, who is safe from whom, who needs protection from whom, these types of questions. So I went to, I got this exhibition with Top of, Top of the World a year ago and I went up to see the space and my plan had been to continue doing my work in caution and danger tape. And I went up and I saw the, this 360 of the city. And I was like, 
oh, we have to talk about Baltimore. You can't sit at the top of Baltimore and not talk about Baltimore. And if you're going to talk about Baltimore, then you have to talk about redlining. And up until that point, I had decided like my redlining work was done. Like I wasn't going to be doing any more redlining work. Um, and I just felt like I, I had to, that this space was a call to action for that. Um, because as you know, Baltimore is the birthplace of redlining. And so since it's the birthplace of redlining, since the federal government came and looked at this city and said, we like this oppression, we want to um, go ahead and put it out through through the whole country. Um, if it can be a model of oppression, then it can be a model of equity. And and so what what does that look like? And so I just started thinking about all the change makers here in the city. And, um, you know, as artists, we're, we're problem solvers, creatives are problem solvers. And, um, and so I, I wanted to take all that into consideration with this work. And so I, so there is kind of, there'll be a lot of redlining work of other cities because that's what, you know, what happened because of Baltimore, but for the rebirth of the nation, um, piece along with the greatest city in America piece. It's a, um, it's an eight foot weaving of the Baltimore redlining map woven with, um, Lawrence Brown's, the black butterfly, the last chapter healing the black butterfly. And so looking at the step-by-step process it would take to make the city equitable, um, and the resources that are needed and where, um, and it goes out and then it grows into 13, over 1300 flowers made. Um, I bought books in Baltimore at Baltimore based bookstores, um, of Baltimore authors. And I created these flower, I hand ripped, cut, uh, built, then painted these flowers. Um, and then there's also going to be these like QR codes that connect back up to um, different nonprofits that are doing the work here in the city. Um, a percentage of um, any any sales that are made, the, those proceeds go to Black Women Build. Like it's about community, it's about creativity, and it's about how we can create the world we want to live in and that Baltimore can be the leader of that because there are so many amazing people in the city that are doing good work. And all we have to do is listen. And for those of us that have the means, um, give philanthropy and support to the programs that exist. So anyways, I feel very strongly <laughs> about um, how many incredible people there are in this city that are doing really great work. And um, we just need to get on the bandwagon and, um, and support it. So Thank that's you. the, that's, that's my, my main piece for top of the world. Thank you. Um, and I, I am, I agree wholeheartedly with you. Um, you know, when, whenever the opportunity presents itself and even doing this, you know, people have their conceptions of, Oh, you've monetized this. You're doing X, Y, and Z. You're independently. Well, Oh, I'm not. This thing costs me a fair amount of money to do and a fair amount of time and energy and so on. I could be doing a podcast about nothing, like the sign podcast, the Seinfeld podcast or have you. But I, I think there's a lot of value in in sort of someone working to share these stories of these folks who aren't maybe getting those opportunities, who maybe due to various factors aren't getting the same sort of reverence and degree of respect that, you know, someone, another type of artist might get, or maybe the type of art that they're doing isn't spoken with with a certain reverence and treat it like it's art. I think that's where my stuff is at. Why I think doing this or someone doing it is important. doesn't mean it's me because I, I, I don't have an ego in that way, but I think having these stories shared is very important because it's like, oh yeah, that's always going to be something that's made. That's always work that's made. Someone's always talking about this. What new thing is going to happen? And no, let's talk about it. It's important. It's important to connect and get these messages out there and get these stories out there and share work that at least starts a dialogue or continues a dialogue or reinforces and revisits a dialogue. Right. Right. And it's about bridge building, you know, like being, you know, access to, to people, access to resources, um, 
all those different types of bringing, uh, you know, business people with creatives, like getting everybody together in one spot to have the conversations and to have the collaborations, I think is the way, you know, we continue to make this the greatest city in America. So 100%, you know, to, to sound like I'm a branding guy, you know, it's the intersection of arts, culture, and community. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, so let's see. I got I got one more sort of real question for you, and I th- I think you've you've touched on it in, in in different points, but in a more sort of resolute and wrapping it up sort of way. Creative growth, you know, like you're you're here, you know, doing this sort of work, which I'm still trying to wrap my mind, weave my mind around <laughs> it. Uh, where do you you know? when you think back and look at like some of the work you were doing in terms of process and uh, how you went about your work earlier, how do you feel comparing maybe some of your earlier work, um, sort of the, the making of it to what you've done most recently, like describe that feeling. You know, it's about constantly trying to push myself, um, to not ever get too comfortable, um, to see how I can be better um, better at my craft, better, like push myself outside of my own abilities of making, but also, um, content like at one time, because there, there's kind of reasonings why my series have transitioned in the way that they have just because of the cultural climate. When I started this a decade ago, you know, I was in Oklahoma, Barack Obama was president um, there was a belief that we were a post, the white people believed that we were a post-racial society. Um, and, and, and so like the idea of talking about the oversaturation of the white image, you know, or, or, or the idea that we function as the universal white people function as a universal norm, um, just was mind bending, um, to a lot of people, but you fast forward now and um, we're, you know, we have people say, I remember the first time somebody started referencing white people on NPR, like as white people for the first time. And it was like only, you know, seven years ago or something like that. And it was, it was jarring to hear that on the radio because it was just not used in that way or to to that extent. And we've gone way past that. Um, so it's like, you go from that to like redlining, trying to share data to, to my inheritance series where I'm, you know, Trump's in office and people are like white liberals don't understand where all this, you know, racism and white supremacy is coming from. So then it's like, then I do my whole inheritance series. Um, to, um, all the uprisings. And now I, then I'm, talking about, you know, white, whiteness and safety. So, um, to this work now, I think it's constantly trying to, to say to myself, okay, what conversation is needed now? What conversation is needed now? Um, and there's that push. And then there's the push of, um, there's that push. And then there is the push of, up until this point, a lot of my work has been about helping white people understand that they are white, that they are part of this construct of race, um, how they benefit from the policies and procedures in this race and connecting, um, the past to the present. But now I feel like the big kind of leap in this new, um, installation at top of the world is this, idea of saying, okay, we're in the present. What does the future look like? And how can I help get, how can I be a part of that, um, that jump? Um, and so just really wanting to be in collaboration with other people in all honesty, like there are so many, um, smart problem solvers out there, uh, that I want to have conversations with and work with. Um, and so just seeing what we can't, what we can't do in collaboration with one another. Um, I'm very interested in that and just kind of using my platform, um, uh, dare I say with a little bit of hope. 
So I, I think that that's maybe that's the difference right now. But it's always like, how do I push myself farther within my thought processes, within my craft, within, um, you know, within how I go about this thing called art making. So, Thank you. It's, um, you know, it's a, a, I'll share a conversation I had yesterday. Um, I was um, in Philadelphia and I was talking with one of my buddies who's a Japanese American. And we were talking about sort of uh, this, 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 this uh, garden home in um, the middle of Philadelphia. And he was sharing, you know, some of the backstory around it and some of the racial stuff, because we're going back to like World War II time and all of that. And we were, and I mentioned to him as we were talking, I was like, you notice how only, only white people are allowed to be Americans. Everyone else has a qualifier. And he's like, wow, I'm right. wrong. Or even um, the thing that I would say with my friend, um, we would walk around, like I'm not too far from Patterson Park, right? And I would walk through Patterson Park and all of that. And I was like, yeah, a lot of white dudes and flip-flops here. I was like, I thought it was so dangerous. Where are the hokas at? Why aren't people running? You know, it's, it's scary. I was like, it's a lot of leisurely footwear to be so dangerous. <laughs> And it's it's sort of that, like, you know, we have this these gentrification gray buildings going up, but at the same time being told that the city, you know, and in Philadelphia share some of these things because they're going through their own sort of um, phase three or phase four of gentrification and repopulation and redevelopment. But we we have that here and we're we're coming up behind them. And I think in some ways might look at them as a model. Uh, the demographics are very sound, very similar. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it just doesn't, you know, in terms of the conversation around it, it's not what the actuality is, you mm. know, it's like, oh, it's super dangerous. People are being killed left and right. I was like, yeah, but I don't know if that's I think those are other issues that we should explore. And let's delve into that conversation versus the inherent badness of it. And that and going back to sort of the reasoning behind this podcast starting you know, when that comment around, you know, how Baltimore is described outside of Baltimore, I didn't hear anything about buildings, streets. I felt they were talking about black people. Mm -hmm. That's, that was the feeling. So that definitely sparked something in me and kind of like thinking through it and thinking about these sort of narratives and to your, your point about the timing of it. You mm -hmm. know, like this is 2019 when I started doing this and we were in the, the height of Trump land. And it was just like, oh, this is just a Tuesday when we'll engage in this sort of dialogue. And that wasn't even in the the top 10 of terrible racial, sexual, whatever, you know, things that were said. <laughs> right. So being able to have these dialogues and being able to, to your point about, you know, collaboration and working with problem solvers and things of the sort, it goes back to the D. Watkins thing. It goes back to a thing that I've banged the bell on. We can speak for ourselves. Right. I think it's about collaboration to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, to, to go back to kind of what you were saying before, I think um, white, white people just, we speak in coded language all the time. Um, and so it's, you know, it's about us as white people being really um, honest about what that language means uh, and that, that's where a lot of my, my, um, my work, uh, uh, the safe, the caution work comes from these ideas around safety and who is safe from whom and who needs protection from whom. And particularly about how white women, um, can incite violence, um, and, um, and then still stay, remain, um, uh, <laughs> I'm going to say the word pure, but that's not right. I've lost my, my language here for a minute. Um, but, but yeah, I, anyways, I think that these conversations are important. I think that y you're right that, um, we're, that there's coded language that's being spoken. Um, and now I'm spacing out. Oh, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Sorry. It, it's, it's my, my favorite thing. And, and, and I'll you know, lead into the rapid fire from here, but it's like my favorite thing when I go to a place that, uh, like the sort of station North area. Right. And I'll right. hear some of my, um, my, uh, my, my white friends or what have you. It's like, how, how sketchy is it over there? I was like, what mm -hmm. does that even mean? Sketchy? Like, right. are you, you drunk? Oh, it's a lot of art over there. No, no, no. The danger. Is it safe to park? <laughs> I, I don't know if it's safe to park. I, I don't drive. I don't, I wouldn't know. 
I've been riding my bike through the city a lot and I find it's, uh, I, I think it's, you get to see such a different part of the city when you're on bike, um, and going through neighborhoods and, you know, not taking the expressway and things like that. Um, it's, it's really fascinating and you can see how, you know, gentrification, gentrification is working, but then also like the vacants crisis that we have in the city, um, but yes, I've, I I must say that I've never felt unsafe here to a certain, and maybe that's my own naivety, but, um, or I'm just going incredibly fast on my bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah no, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's just an interesting city and most people are good people. Most people are trying to, you know, just take care of themselves and the people they love. 100%. And I, and I think that's a good spot for us to kind of wrap on the uh, the real questions. And I have four, I have four rapid fire questions for you, all four of them, four of them. Uh, so here's the first one. You, you mentioned the grind earlier and the grind can grind you down. Uh, how do you reset physically, spiritually or emotionally? Like what is like something you do from the, uh, the frame of maybe self-care, I suppose, that people use to kind of get through that grind? Um, I have to work out. I have to work out every day. Um, I haven't been for the past couple of weeks and, I, and it's definitely taking a toll on my mental health. Um, I also, um, I also drink a lot of coffee and if I really need to like make things happen, that's when I get the iced coffee. That's like when, you know, I'm, I'm in it to win it. And then, um, I listen to a lot of music and I get, um, I also like, I'm not going to lie. I've watched Beyonce's homecoming <laughs> a lot, a lot because I'm like, if she can do all of this, you know, <laughs> then I can surely do that. Or, um, when it's, um, or if I just have so much, you know, crocheting or weaving, I just, feel like death and I want to be done with it, then I'll put on one of those, um, those reality TV shows, like, um, making the cut or like project <laughs> runway. Yeah. I'm like, they can make a pasta dress in 24 hours. I can get this done, you know? So, <laughs> so those are the ways that I make it happy, happen. Coffee, Beyonce, uh, working out and making the cut. I love it. So these 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 next two, um, what is your favorite color, and what was the last book you read? Um, so when I read, I read uh, like I'm calling it trash reading at night. But my daughter is 13, and she's and so we have so she's an avid reader. So we have so many young adult uh, books. So I just read one called Float. That was the one I just finished up last night. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a teeny bopper, uh, romance. And then the, the book that I'm currently reading, uh, then I do my serious reading in the morning. And so my current serious reading is, um, uh, Richard Rothstein's, uh, he and his daughter, uh, just wrote a new book called, um, oh gosh, something in action, but it's, gosh, what is it called? Um, oh, I can't remember the first word, but it says it's something in, and it comes from his, he wrote the color of law. So mm -hmm. the whole book on redlining. And then this is like, excuse me, I think it's called just action or something like that. But yeah, it's about how we can make actionable change right now. Um, just as human beings, uh, until to, to try to offset all the, the damage of redlining. So that's my serious read right now. And favorite color? Um, I'm currently into orange, but I mean, it's a good time to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm definitely over red and yellow right now. I'm definitely over those two colors, but yeah, I'd say orange. Uh, this this is the last one I got for you. Um, I'm always interested in sort of the 
the habits of uh, artists, of creatives. Um, we have sort of the restorative stuff early. We got the favorite book, you know, or most recent book. Um, we got the favorite color. Um, what is your go-to snack? What do you like to to eat when you're in between, like your hands are swelling, your 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 you can feel everything in your scapulas? Yeah. Um, so I've I've recently found out that I'm pre-diabetic. Um, but when and so I try to stay away from sugar, but if you know things are going down. <laughs> If I get those trashy little Debbies, like the, the, the like zebra cakes and stuff, oh, yeah, yeah. like that's when, you know, I'm going hard, like it's time, but usually I'm just like eating raw cashews or something like that. I, I like raw cashews. I've been eating a lot of those recently. They eat yeah. Cashews, actually. <laughs> yeah. They actually probably are my go-to snack, raw cashews and, and grapes, but, um, but yeah, if if we're just like trying to make it happen, then you bust out the little Debbies. I hear you on that. Um, that's pretty much it for me. Um, I want to thank you for for making the time to call on this podcast and share with me and share with the the listeners. And um, two, I want to invite you to share in these final moments, rebirth of a nation, social media, website, all of that good stuff. The floor is yours. Sweet. Um, thank you so much. This was actually really fun. Um, so you can find me at kimrice.net. You can find me at Instagram at kimriceartist. And then I have four exhibitions this fall. I have Connect Collect Gallery, um, which is in uh, off of North Charles. And then I, with Paul Rucker, that's an awesome exhibition. You should go see it. <laughs> and then uh, Top of the World opening this Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, Rebirth of a Nation. And then I will be a part of B23, the Artscape exhibition, uh, which you should definitely check out. And then uh, if you're up in Brooklyn, uh, I'm going to be having an exhibition up there. But you can find that all out on my website. <laughs> And there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Kim Rice for coming on to the podcast. I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, culture, and community in and around your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it. Mm-hmm.